Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners. I'm back. And so bloody happy to be back. To new listeners who have just found the podcast or YouTube channel, you are so welcome. And for the veterans, the ghouls and ghasts that stick to my walls like dusty furniture in an old house, you know where I was. I was in Canada, North Vancouver to be exact. I won't go into detail about the trip, you can visit my Facebook for that, with plenty of pictures of bears and hawks and vultures and owls and forests and massive lakes with plenty of animals running around and they don't appear ever to be scared of humans. It was a great trip. But I'll stop there otherwise I'll keep going on and on and on. But today's topic being the 300th episode, I wanted to do something different, something really, really different. So today's episode is all about reincarnation. Today I'm going to hold your creepylicious hands as we take a walk down reincarnation lane. And for some of you out there, if you believe in it, perhaps you've already done so. I'll be going over some key topics to start us out, and then over the next couple of episodes, I'm going to share more stories about reincarnation, in particular modern stories that defy logic and have unexplainable stories with unique details. Because, well, there's a bucket load of stories out there that corroborate strange and unique anomalies and accounts that seem to add up, but without any real explanation as to why. And I myself am constantly at odds as to whether reincarnation actually takes place, because once I start going through these stories later on in other episodes, your opinion may start to shift a little. We'll see. We'll see if I can bring you some unique evidence that can sway your opinion on reincarnation. But I'll not get ahead of myself. Today's episode will tackle these key questions. What is reincarnation? Defined generically and in alternate ways. Karma as an integral part of reincarnation. And what religions and beliefs believe in reincarnation. Of which I've chosen four in total to cover briefly just to get the idea of reincarnation circling in your mind. So we have the origins of reincarnation, Hinduism, Jainism and Buddhism. And lastly, I'll have some examples of modern day representation of reincarnation. Full disclaimer, I am not an expert on reincarnation and I've done my best to learn as much as I could about Hinduism, Jainism and Buddhism. So if I've got something wrong, please let me know politely in the comments below, or even email me directly, and I'll actually correct these as I go along through the episodes. So let's dig in and start with what is reincarnation? Reincarnation goes under multiple names, transmigration, metapsychosis, rebirth, and bodily death are some common examples. The word though, reincarnation, can be broken down into its Latin roots, incarnare. I didn't know what that meant, but I know some of you out there do. It means to make flesh, or entering into flesh again. Also, even in the way that the word is written, it reads like incarnation, and in essence means to create. 
but that's not the case with all Latin words, so listener beware. Sure, some words are similar and read like modern day words, but mean totally different things. But the word itself, reincarnation that is, does not have to mean literal rebirth, but also reinvention. And regarding our topic, perhaps the embodiment of the new and bringer of change. The origins of reincarnation could go as far back as the Druids, and Irish ancestors actually. The earliest information that I could gather and collect go as far back as the 1st century BCE with Alexander Cornelius Polyhister, who expressed that the Gauls believed their men to be immortal, whose souls had a fixed number of years until they themselves passed on to another body. 1st century BCE folks, it's amazing. To think it had those kind of thought patterns back then is always jaw-dropping to me, and to see the concept of reincarnation withstand the test of time, it's brilliant. Also, Julius Caesar wrote about his observations of the Celts in a piece titled Di Bello Gallico. Stating a critical observation of the Celtic culture, Julius Caesar wrote, the principal point of their doctrine is that the soul does not die, and that after death it passes from one body into another. With a firm belief in the indestructibility of the human soul, which merely passes at death from one tenement to another. For by such doctrine alone, they say, which robs death of all its terrors, can the highest form of human courage be developed. My take away from this is that in believing that one's body shifts on limitlessly to another, why fear death? This is exactly what made the Celts such ferocious fighters as well. There are a number of stories that I could jump into but I don't want to get sidetracked here. But I promise you I will definitely bring you stories that are quite unique. Stories about people being turned into swans for 900 years, or cows being consumed and birthing bulls, all at the hands of dark druids. Yep, another time methinks. So, I'm gonna now jump head first into Hinduism's perspective on reincarnation. And dare I say I tread carefully because I know this is a massive topic, but I'll do my best. And in doing so, we need to discuss karma. The saying karma is a bitch in the world of Hinduism would mean something very different and powerful indeed. Karma is like spiritual currency. Good deeds, words, thoughts, and commands, actions all influence your next life. Credit, you could say, to making a purchase of a better life in the next. And also, similarly, all the people you've punched, insulted, or taken advantage of I mean, the list really goes on here on what terrible things you can do in this life. Are considered karma's debts. Debts that you pay not by reincarnating into another creature, but you pay for these debts in the attitudes of your next life. Your soul's personality. If you can imagine that your soul is like an element or an elemental, an entity of its own, well, the body is just a container a vessel to contain that soul. And as that body dies, the soul is released and moves on to the next life. Those traits, those experiences or karma that you've collected is stored on that soul and taken to the next life, including the benefits and the vices that you've collected over time from previous lives. 
Supporting this is the Bhagavad Gita, the ancient text of India that suggests that the soul leaves the body as it dies, guided by the collective karma of that person. The soul is then judged by said karma, acting as a retributive or justice force, also known as Dharma, which is considered the moral order of the universe. Karma sort of reminds me of Santa Claus. It knows when you've been good, and it knows when you've been bad. There's absolutely no escape. And karma has such an influence in reincarnation, in that the likes, dislikes, and phobias that a person receives when being rebirthed is dependent on the karma accumulated within that person's life, plus the actions from the previous lives. A sort of life bank that carries across, gathering more karma savings and debt as you live multiple lives over and over. You could live millions and millions of lives, and depending on what you do and the actions you carry out on those lives, you could either stay there or progress or decline, purely on your actions alone in those lives. Have you ever heard of the term old soul? It does mean different things in different cultures, but in regards to this, the reference of the old soul is quite literal. There is a twist regarding karma though, in that if you used to steal in your past lives and you start stealing again, your karma from your previous lives will influence you to continue to steal. It's only through meditation and doing good actions that you can break out of this vice and improve your karma. Our next perspective on karma and reincarnation is Jainism, traditionally known as Jain Dharma, and this is where karma is seen quite differently. Imagine karma as a physical property, in that actions that you do in your daily life generate a karmic bondage, wherein good actions and negative actions create particles that adhere to your soul, and that a person can control karma over time with discipline and meditation. Bad actions being heavy and good actions being light, the kinder you are, the quicker you will reach that enlightened stage and float into nirvana, and the crueler you are, the more you stray away from pure bliss. Now the main difference with Jainism here is that there is no supreme being, no creator, or a spirit that sustains the universe. But a person's whole intention around rebirth is to reach moksha, which across Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism means to be free from matter or free from self. It's a type of liberation of the soul. Reincarnation regarding Jainism though doesn't necessarily lead your next life to being a terrible one due to bad karma, unlike Hinduism, just that you'll continue to be reborn. The punishment is being reborn. The focus of rebirth and reincarnation in Jainism is to be free of karma completely. Interestingly, there are four cycles of rebirth in Jainism. A human being, a heavenly being, an infernal being, or lastly, an animal or a plant. Mate, the last thing you want to be is a plant. Could you imagine trying to gather karma as a plant? How can you be a good plant or a bad plant? So that's something I think I would struggle with. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you just plant and then eventually you go up in the ranks. But in saying that, depending on how much karma you collect, you'll reincarnate as one of these beings under Jainism's belief. So karma to Jainism is vastly different. To Hinduism. One covers the soul as being influenced by karma, whilst the other sees the soul as a ticket to a different embodiment. 
Now let's tackle Buddhism's perspective of reincarnation. Buddhism refers to the actions of a person leading to a new existence after death. This cycle is endless and relates back to what I discussed previously as moksha and nirvana, ideas that Buddhism shares with the other two belief systems, regarding the soul's liberation and freedom from the endless cycle of rebirth. Buddhism also refers to karma in much the same way as Hinduism and Jainism, but is expressed a little differently. There are realms in Buddhism, six in particular, that a person can be reborn and reincarnated into. Deva, which is heavenly. Asura, demigod. Manisua, human. Tiryak, animals. Preta, ghosts. And Naraka, hell. Each realm is influenced by a karma type. Kushala being good karma, and Aksushala being bad karma. There is, however, a slight difference here. The concept of Anatta. Anatta refers to the unchanging soul, on the soul's transfer from one life to the next. So Hinduism discusses a soul that keeps track of previous life influences, Jainism focuses on the soul simply moving and balancing karma, whilst Buddhism's concept of soul and identity is debatable. What happens to an unchanging soul? So I sat here thinking to myself, if this soul doesn't change, why seek merit to higher or lower in the realms? How is reincarnation possible? What is keeping this process of reincarnation going? Well, that thing, that concept, or at least the governing karmic rule is Athikavada, the moral responsibility of karmic liberation. So a force that pushes people's souls and karma to the next life. In Buddhism, at least, it seems that way. Karma has a life of its own, a consciousness that moves a human or a soul from one life to another. Karma, though, is an influential decider on how that soul travels throughout each realm. And that's the difference here. Karma dictates that soul's position in a particular realm. So, let's take a breather whew, and do a quick recap. The Celts believed they had a fixed number of years in that body, and then they moved on to another in due time. Hinduism sees karma as a personality influencer or soul influencer that you carry with you every time we reincarnate as a human with long-lasting, permanent effects on the soul. Jainism sees karma as a physical property, a substance you could say, that is generated from acts of kindness or evil that sticks to a person's soul. Whilst Buddhism sees karma as a self-governing force that must happen and takes a person from one realm to another, or keeps them there. Karma and reincarnation are intertwined, heavily. But what about a modern day's perspective on reincarnation? Well, there is a lot, albeit they are simpler to follow. Modern day reincarnation is very, very different. Have you heard of children who have lived past lives? Or what about Dr. Ian Stevenson's and Carol Bowman's collective accounts of 4,000 cases where children have perfect recall of their past lives. Future episodes, I'll delve deeper into modern day accounts of reincarnation cases. But I've gathered some cases for you just for this episode to give you a little taster. The case of Cameron McCauley, Portal to the Next Life. Cameron was born in Glasgow, Scotland, to his mother, Norma. Ever since he was two years old, and was able to talk, Cameron told his parents, relatives, friends, and neighbors, really anyone who would have the time to listen, his life story 
of his other existence in Barra, a tiny island in the northwest of Scotland. At first, his mother just thought he was making it all up, but as Cameron got older, the story didn't change. Quite the opposite. And he was able to fill it in with more detail, with greater accuracy. He talked about living in a white house with three toilets, seeing aeroplanes fly out his window, and having a mother with long brown hair. All this whilst two years old. I know kids at two years old who don't even know what a plane is. Now, Cameron even described the way his father died while crossing the road. He said, Father didn't look both ways. The weird thing was that Norma had never been to Barra. Cameron's desire to visit Barra and to see his former mother grew more and more persistent. One day, he even told Norma that he wanted his Barra mum and not her to pick him up from kindergarten or school. Eventually, the family went to Barra and found the White House just as Cameron had described. What makes the whole thing especially fascinating is that he actually describes the way in which he left his old family and was born into his new one. It appears as if he found some kind of magic portal that transported him through space and time, out of one body and into the body of a fetus in his new mother's womb. Here's a quote from the boy about how he came to be. I fell through and went into your tummy. Cameron's story is one of the most compelling ones out there, and mainly because of the extensive detail that he has on his former life. Cameron can recall colors, structure of the house, the people that lived around there, the way to actually get to the house, and knew enough of the surrounding environment to hold a conversation with those that lived there. It's stories like these that I find reincarnation as a concept miraculous. And it's one of the first stories that I came across regarding the children who have lived past lives. And now for our next story, the story of James Linninger. At the age of two, James started telling his parents stories of not being able to escape from something. He was having nightmares about it. His parents, Andrea and Bruce Linninger, share his story. What made James's parents take him more seriously was when James produced three pieces of information which could be verified. The name of the boat he flew his final mission from, Nat Omer. The name of another pilot he flew with, Jack Larson. And the name of the place where he died, Iwo Jima. Three solid, verifiable pieces of information that a toddler probably wouldn't know. James drew numerous pictures of planes being gunned down in flames, signing his name as James III. When his parents asked why he was putting a three after his name, James replied that he was the third James. Bruce, his father, checked James's information, and it checked out. They were able to verify everything he said. James went on to divulge various names of World War II fighter pilots and more. Eventually, after years of research, Bruce and Andrea tracked down the family of James Huston, who was indeed killed in a plane crash while on a mission near Japan. The question is, did the spirit of James Huston somehow jump into the body of a newly born James Leninger, carrying with it all the memories and trauma it had just experienced? This also raises the question that, when these children jump into these bodies, are they killing the original? Was there a soul there to begin with? And if there was, where does it go? And our next reincarnation case is Shanti Devi. Shanti Devi was born in India in 1926, 
and early on, just like the other cases, started speaking about a previous life in great accuracy at the age of four. CarolBowman.com covers her story. By this time, Shanti Devi was six years old, and her parents were perplexed and worried by such statements. The girl even gave a detailed account of her death following childbirth. They consulted their family physician, who was amazed how a little girl narrated so many details of the complicated surgical procedures. As the girl grew older, she persisted in asking her parents to be taken to Mathura. A meeting with Kanjimal was arranged, during which Shanti Devi recognized him as her husband's cousin. She gave some details about her house in Mathura and informed him of the location where she had buried some money. Kanjimal was so impressed that he went to Mathura to persuade Kedinath to visit Delhi. Kedinath came to Delhi on November 12, 1935, with Ludhi's son, Navanit Lal, and his present wife. They went to Rang Bahadur's house the next day to mislead Shanti Devi. Kanjimal introduced Kedinath as the latter elder brother. Shanti Devi blushed and stood on one side. Someone asked why she was blushing in front of her husband's elder brother. Shanti said in a low, firm voice, No, he is not my husband's brother. He is my husband himself. Then she addressed her mother. Didn't I tell you that he is fair? And he has a wart on the left side cheek near his ear? Shanti was emotionally overwhelmed on seeing Navneet, the son in her previous life. Tears welled in her eyes when she hugged him. She asked her mother to bring all her toys and give them to Navanit. But she was too excited to wait for her mother to act and ran to bring them. Kedinath asked her how she had recognized Navanit as her son, when she had seen him only once as an infant before she died. Shanti explained that her son was part of her soul and the soul is able to easily recognize this fact. What a brilliant story. Some extra information about Shanti Devi's story is that she even chided her former husband for remarrying, saying in front of his current wife, had we not decided that you will not remarry. What a story. My next account is a child being born through yet another portal. When I was your age, I changed your diaper, said the dark-haired boy to his father. Ron looked down at his smiling son, who had not yet turned two. He thought it was a very strange thing to say, but he figured he had misheard him. But as baby Sam made similar remarks over the next few months, Ron and his wife, Kathy, gradually pieced together an odd story. Sam believed that he was his deceased grandfather, Ron's late father, who had returned to his family. More intrigued than alarmed, Ron and Kathy asked Sam, How did you come back? I just went whoosh and came out the portal. He responded. Although Sam was a precocious child, he'd been speaking in full sentences from the age of 18 months. His parents were stunned to hear him use a word like portal, and they encouraged him to say more. They asked Sam if he had any siblings, and he replied that he had a sister who turned into a fish. His father asked him, Who turned into a fish? Some bad guys. She died. Eerily enough, Sam's grandfather had a sister who had been murdered 60 years earlier. Her body was found floating in San Francisco Bay. Ron and Kathy then gently asked Sam, Do you know how you died? 
Sam jerked back and slapped the top of his head as if in pain. One year before Sam was born, his grandfather had died of a cerebral hemorrhage. Definitely a chilling story. Reincarnation now has a new topic to add to its lists. Portals. And speaking of portals, I've read accounts where children from Japan have encountered heavenly rooms when they had passed on, with books in them that outline their life, what they've done, good and bad, and are given a choice. Well, the room offers them a choice, to move on or to go back. And in one scenario, as much as four or five of these children came back and attended the same school, discussing what they saw and how they came back but I find it creepy and eerie at the same time, whilst also being morbidly fascinated. And this is where I'll stop, with more stories in the future around this topic. I know I skimmed over some key topics there, I could spend a whole week on any one of those religions and beliefs, but for now, that will do for the 300th episode of Stories Fables Ghostly Tales. And I have a couple of announcements regarding the podcast. I'll be doing three a week from here on in. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for now. I want to spend more time with the family, friends, and believe it or not, exercising. This means higher quality work though. Hopefully longer episodes and a whole bunch of awesome stuff. I'll also be jumping right back into listener stories, more creepypastas in the future, and more collaborations. And a huge thank you. For all of you who have been leaving reviews on iTunes, just brilliant. Thank you so much. There is nothing like coming back from a holiday and seeing more awesome reviews that make me laugh and put a bounce in my step. It was just brilliant. And in particular, I laughed hard at all you lovely listeners that suggested that I avoid bears and that I don't get eaten by one. I really appreciate that. Because I mean, seriously, they're a real threat down in Canada. So, on this 300th episode, thank you so much for sticking with me, and here's to another 300. Just fantastic. Have a creepy-licious night, or fantastic day. And as always, till next time. It's great to be back, mates. <laughs>